Hello, welcome back to Making Books Fun. Today we'll be reading Girl in the Blue Coat. I don't know if you guys have been on my channel before, but let me remind you, last time I was on, I read a totally different book. But I thought that it would be a good time to read a national bestseller. I don't, I mean, the word is probably out, but um, I'd like to respread it. And uh, I'm honestly never have read this book, so if I make a couple mistakes, I'm sorry. Um, so let's get started. We're starting from chapter two. And let's go. Miss Jansen is still waiting for me to respond. Standing in the dark space where the air is stale and smells faintly of old potatoes. Hanake? You were hiding someone? I can barely get the words out, of, out as she relatches the secret shelf, closes the pantry door, and leaves me, leads me back to the table. I don't know if I'm more shocked or scared. I know this happens, that some of the Jews who disappeared are packed like winter linens in other people's basements rather than relocated to work camps, but it's too dangerous a thing to ever admit out loud. Mrs. Jansen is nodding at my question. I was. In here? You were hiding someone in here? For how long? Where should I begin? She picks up her napkin, twisting it in her hands. I don't want her to begin at all. Ten minutes ago, I was worried Miss Jansen might have called someone to arrest me. Now I know she is the one who could be arrested. The punishment for hiding people is imprisonment, a cold, damp cell in Schwingen. Where I've heard people of people disappearing for months without even getting hearings. The punishment for being a person in hiding and underduker is immediate deportation. Never mind, I say quickly. Never mind, I don't need to hear anything. I'll just go. Why don't you sit down again, she pleads. I've been waiting all morning for you. She holds up the pitcher of coffee. More? You can have as much as you like. Just sit. If you don't help me, I'll have to find someone else. Now I'm conflicted. Standing in the middle of the kitchen, I don't want her to bribe a, of coffee, but I'm rooted to the spot. I shouldn't leave, not without knowing more of the story. If Miss Jansen tries to find someone else, she could be putting herself in danger, and me too. Tell me what happened, I said finally. My husband's business partner. Miss Jansen begins, and the word spilling out in a rush. My husband's business partner was a good man, Mr. Rudvelt, David. He worked with Hendrick for ten years. He had a wife, Rose, and she was so shy. She had a lisp, and it made her self-conscious. But she could knit the most beautiful things. They had two daughters, Leah, who had just turned twelve and was the family pet, and the older daughter, fifteen, independent, always off with her friends, Mirjam. Her throat catches at the last name, and she swallows before continuing. The rude belts were Jewish, not very observant in the beginning. It seemed that it would make a, that it would make a, any difference. It didn't, of course. David told Hendrick they would be fine. They knew a woman in the country who was going to take them in. That fell through when the woman got too scared, though. And in July, after the Rizia. When so many Jews were taken, David came to Hendrick and said he and his family needed help going into hiding. And Hendrick brought them here, I asked. No, he didn't want to put me in danger. 
He brought them to a furniture shop. He built the Rootbelts a secret room behind a false wall in the woodshop. I didn't know. You didn't know? I can't imagine my own parents being able to keep such a secret from each other. I knew Hendrick was spending more time in the shop. I thought he was working longer hours because David was no longer around to assist him. I thought the Rootvelts had gone to a safe house in the country. I didn't know that all of them were right there and hiding. When did he tell you? He never told me. Last month, I was home alone when I heard knocking at my door. Frantic knocking. It was after curfew. I thought Hendrick had forgotten his key. But when I opened the door, there was this girl. This pale girl wearing a blue coat. She'd grown so much I hadn't seen her in a few years. And I wouldn't have recognized her if she hadn't introduced herself. She told me my husband had been hiding them. But now she needed a new safe space. She said everyone else was dead. Mirjam Roadbelt, Miss Jansen nods. She was shaking. She was so scared. She said the Nazis had come to the factory that night and gone straight to the woodshop. Someone betrayed Hendrick, an employee or a customer. Hendrick wouldn't show them the hiding space. He pretended he had no idea what they were talking about because he, he wouldn't speak. The officers began threatening him, and David heard, and he tried to help, but the officers had guns. She gulps in a breath. When the shooting was done, Hendrick was dead, and David and Rose and Leah, only Mirjam, managed to escape. It must have been a cup complete chaos. I've heard of people imprisoned, taken away, and never returned, but four people, including a woman and a child, shot dead in cold blood? How did Mirjam escape, I ask. They shot everyone else. How would the young girl manage to escape from Nazis with guns? The bathroom. The shop has a restroom in the front. The Rootvelts could use it once the sales floor was closed. Mirjam had just gone in to get ready for bed when the Nazis came in, and she ran out the front door when she heard the gunshots. Took the closest safe place she could think of, my house. That was three weeks ago. I was hiding her until last night. What happened last night? Miss Jansen reached out the pocket of her sweater and pulls out a folded slip of paper. I wrote everything down so I would have a timeline exactly right for you. She traces the first line with her index finger. She was here yesterday at noon because I went to bring her in some bread and a copy of Het Parole. She liked to read the news of the underground over and over again memorizing even the classified advertisements. Are you sure it was noon? I just heard the wet squirk strike, and people outside had left for their lunch hours. She looks back down at the paper to find her place again. She was here a quarter past four because I went in to warn her that Schistoffel, my errand boy, was going to drop something off, and so she would need to be still. She was here at 5.30 because I asked her if she wanted some dinner. She told me she had a headache and was going to lie down. Right after, my neighbor, Miss Veenstra, asked me to come in. Her son, Coos, hadn't been home and she was scared for him. After I sat with her for an hour, Coos came up to the street. His bicycle had lost a tire. He walked in 25, he'd walked it 25 kilometers. I went home and called out to Miriam and asked if she was feeling better. She didn't answer. I assumed she'd fallen asleep. 
A while later, I opened the door to see if I could bring her anything. She was gone. Vanished. Her bed was empty. Her coat was gone. Her shoes were gone. She was gone. What time was it by then? Around 10, after curfew. Sometime between 5.30, when Mirjam said she was going to lie down, and 10, she disappeared, and there's no explanation. Finished with her story, she refolds the paper and starts to put it back in her pocket, before handing it to me instead. There were patches near the burners on Mrs. Jansen's stove. I fetch one now. Strike it against the box and let Miss Jansen penciled sleuthing burn in sulfur and ash. What are you doing? she asked. What are you doing? Keeping written records of the girl you've been illegally hiding? She rubs her forehead. I didn't think of that. I don't know these rules. It's why I need your help, Hanake. The Wester quirk chimes again in the background. Another quarter hour has passed. Before I was using the time as an excuse to leave, but now it's really getting late. I fold my arms over my chest. You were visiting with a neighbor for an hour. Couldn't Mirjam have walked out then? Miss Venstra lives right across the street. We sat on her steps and faced my house. It wasn't too cold yesterday. Mirjam couldn't have left through the front door without me seeing her. You have a back door? I shouldn't be getting her hopes up by asking questions like this when I'm not planning to help her. But the situation she describes is strange and unbelievable and i keep feeling like she must be explaining it wrong the rear door doesn't close properly it hasn't in four years i used to get so mad at hendrick to think a furniture maker not making the time to fix his own door finally last year i got fed up with asking and i installed a latch myself when i noticed mirajem was gone i checked it it was still closed she couldn't have left through the back entrance and closed the latch on the inside of the door. A window? It sounds unlikely, likely, even as I'm saying it. This neighborhood is wealthy, the kind of place people would notice unusual things, like girls climbing out windows. Not a window. Don't you see? She had no way to leave, and no reason to. This was the last safe place for her. But she can't have been discovered either. If the Nazi had come to take her, they would have taken me too. There has to be a rational explanation. Miss Jansen must have turned away for a few seconds at Miss Veenstra's and not been seeing the girl leave. Or maybe she had the timing wrong and the girl disappeared while Miss Jansen was make, taking an afternoon nap. The explanation doesn't matter, really. I can't help her. No matter how sad her story is, it's too dangerous. Survival first. That's my war motto. After Bass... It might be my life model. Survival first, survival only. I used to think to be a, I used to be a careless person. Look where it got me. Now I transport black market goods, but only because it feeds me and my family. I flirt with German shoulders, but only because it saves me. Finding a missing girl does nothing for me at all. From outside the kitchen, I hear the front door squeak open, and then a young male voice caught out, call out. Hello? Farther away, the sound of a dog barking. Who was there? The Gestapo? The NSB? We hate the Gestapo and the Green Police, but we hate the National Socialist be-waging. Most of all, the Dutch Nazis, who have betrayed their own people. Miss Jansen's eyes widen until she places the voice. Christophel, I'm in the kitchen. 
She called out. I forgot he was coming today. She whispers to me. Pick up your coffee. Behave normally. Christopher the errand boy has curly blonde hair, big blue eyes, and tender skin of, of someone who hasn't been shaving long. Miss Jensen? He fumbles with his hat in his hands, uncomfortable to have interrupted us. I'm here for the Oakla bed. This is the time, you said? Yes, of course. She begins to rise, but Christopher gestures for her to stay seated. I can manage on my own. I have a cart, a friend waiting outside to help. He stood toward the window where a tall, stout boy waves from the street. When he disappears for his cart and his friend, Miss Jensen sees my alarm face and reassures me. Not that bed. Not Mirjam's. He's taking the one in Hendrick's office. I barely go in that room anymore. I asked Christoffel if he could find a buyer, and I was going to use the money to help support Mirjam. Now? Now I'll use the money to help you pay me. <coughs> to pay you to help me. I'm shaking my hand, head in protest, but she cussed me, cuts me off. You have to find her. My older sons, I may never see them again. My youngest son is dead. My husband died trying to protect Miriam's family, and her family died trying to protect him. I have now. I have no one now, and neither does she. Miriam and I must be each other's family. Don't let me lose her, please. I'm saved from having to respond by the squeaking wheels of Christoffel's pushcart to which he and his friends have lashed Mrs. Jensen's other oaklebet. It's more ornate than the one in the pantry, the wood smooth and varnished and still smelling faintly of lemon furniture oil. Miss Jensen, I'm leaving now, he says. Wait, I tell him. Miss Jensen, maybe you don't need to sell this bit now. Wait a day to think about it. It's my way of telling her I'm not going to be able to agree to this proposition. No, I'm selling it now. She says definitively, I have to. Christoffel, how, <clears throat> how much do I owe you for the trouble in picking it up? Nothing, Miss Jensen. I'm happy to do it. I insist. She reaches for her pocketbook on the table and begins to count out money from a small coin porch. Oh, dear. I thought I had. It's not necessary. Christoffel insists. He's blushing again and looks to me, stricken for help. Miss Jensen, I say softly. Christoffel has other deliveries. Why don't we let him go? She stops searching through her pocketbook and folds it closed, embarrassed. Once Christoffel leaves, she sinks back. I'm so sorry. Oh, back to her chair. She looks tired and old. Will you help me? She asks. I drain the rest of my cold coffee. What outcome does she think I can deliver? I wouldn't know where to start, even if Mirjam managed to escape. How far could a 15-year-old girl with a yellow jonister and on her clothing get? I don't need to take Miss Jensen's money to know what will happen to a girl like Mirjam. If it hasn't happened already, she'll be captured or she'll be relocated to labor camp in Germany or Poland, the type from which nobody has yet returned. But how did she get out in the first place? There has to be a rational explanation, I tell myself again. People don't disappear into thin air. But that's a lie. Actually, people disappear into thin air every day during this occupation. Hundreds of people taken from their homes. 
How can she expect me just to find one? Thank you for listening to today's chapter of Girl in the Blue Coat. Um, I hope you come back for my next chapter. I am so sorry for the coughing. Um, I've been taking this medicine and it helps me like get all my mucus out. And that's kind of gross, so if you want to skip this part, go on ahead. But um, um, thank you for listening, and um, I'll see you guys next time.